I, I don't know if you remember the 2000 Olympic Games. It's been in the Australian news uh, all week. Uh, I, I do. Uh, but the first Olympic Games that I remember was the 1996 Games. I was about 10 and, and I remember being so excited about it. Uh, I remember staying up late into the early hours of the morning on, on school nights watching as the world's best competed in these uh, various sports. And it was the second time that, uh, that South Africa had competed as a new post-apartheid uh, nation. And so I remember the, the excitement being so tangible and real that these were our heroes off to do battle in a foreign land. And we hoped and we prayed that they would be victorious and they would bring back those coveted gold medals. Well, we've just ended a section of Hebrews uh, 11 as we've looked at these heroes of faith, heroes who had received their medals of faithfulness as they persevered and endured to the end because they trusted simply in God's word. God said it and they believed it. Uh, so have a look at verse 1 with me. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, stop there. Uh, these heroes of faith from Abel to Abraham and Noah to Joseph, Moses, David, to the, the, the prophets and the judges, all these men and women of faith are a testimony of faithfulness to us. Uh, they have completed God's race and now, well, now it's our turn. Uh, I remember running a school cross-country race one day. It was during the school day, so both my parents worked. It was impossible for them to come and watch the race. Uh, and as I was running, I remember coming through the end of a section of bush, and, and one of my classmates' parents were there, and they were shouting encouragements from the sideline, spurring us on. But the reason I remember it so clearly was because I didn't know this person. And yet, as she shouted, as she encouraged us, well, she said my name. Go, Ryan! And I remember being so encouraged by this that uh, I was spurred on that uh, I kept running. In fact, I ran too hard and, well, I, I kind of gassed myself out. I, I overexerted myself from that encouragement. But I just remember the wonderful feeling of someone just encouraging me, shouting out my name. It was wonderful. Well, these clouds of witnesses, these heroes of faith, look, I, I don't think they are people standing in heaven looking down on us, watching us, spurring us on. Uh, maybe they are, but they are definitely for us examples in God's Word. Throughout all of His Word, as we run the Christian race, part of that race, friends, is to cling to God's Word. God said it. There are examples of God doing it in His Word. God will do it again. He's a God who makes promises and He's a God who keeps His promises. And so we see their examples of faith and, and God's faithfulness to them. And so we too are also to persevere and to endure and to keep running. Now these witnesses, these testimony givers, well they are experienced racers themselves. And, and their testimony, their witness to God's faith, that is to be our great encouragement as we also seek to persevere and to endure. I keep reading verse 1. Uh, we do that, we persevere, we endure by throwing off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. 
Uh, I've entitled uh, this section uh, Running the Race Toward Godliness. Uh, running the race toward godliness. And so that's a question that I have for you. Uh, are you pursuing godliness in your everyday Christian life? That's the question I want us to explore uh, for a moment. Uh, godliness is defined as having a proper response to God in all the matters of our lives. You notice in that verse we just read that there are two categories that the author speaks of here. Things that hinder and the sin that so easily entangles. You see, not everything that trips us up is a moral sin, a moral failure. You see, there are things in our lives that are not morally sinful, and yet they still hinder us from serving God. Could be your phone. Could be your job. Could be your hobbies. Could be the good things that you like to do, and yet they hinder you in your service to God. Uh, I had a couple that I thought relates to many of us. Uh, in the West, there's a great desire for comfort. Uh, look, comfort is not a bad thing, but, but comfort can become to us like a, a stagnating puddle of water. It's lifeless as you forget the harsh reality of sin in the world and the way in which millions die each day because they do not know the Savior that you know. Uh, safety is not a bad thing, but to, to build fences around yourself, to, to, to lay the floor with rubber foam mattresses as you seek to, to mitigate risk. And yet, friends, to flee risk is to deny that the gospel requires a life of risk. Does safety and good health come as an idol for us? Look, we know that it was the church that, that led the way in creating social programs to, to help the poor and the broken and the destitute. Uh, it was the church that led the way in providing education. It was the, the church that led the way in building hospitals and orphanages. And yet, friends, slowly over the last few hundred years, we have allowed the government to be the arbiters of these matters. Governments which were founded on biblical worldviews who no longer understand that worldview. In the past, when plagues raged, uh, it was Christians who came to the rescue. It was Christians who went in where others left to provide love and mercy and care. To hold the hands of those who were dying, who risked getting the disease themselves. And friends, I, I fear that the church today has been made weak and feeble. We've been made to look like any other business trying to stay open. Trying to, to survive as if a disease could kill the bride of Christ. As if a disease could kill you. 
What does Colossians 3 say? It says, you have already died. And your life is now hid with Christ. Are you afraid to die? I don't mean are you afraid to die in a, in a certain manner, right? There's, there's plenty of play, ways in which I don't want to die, right? We've all done the thought experiments. But that's not what I'm asking. Are you afraid to die because, well, you enjoy your life too much. There's still so much more to live. You're afraid to die because you want to experience so much more. Are you afraid to die because, well, actually, you're not entirely sure of where you will end up once you've died? And friends, if that's you, then I fear you don't understand the gospel. Safety is not a sin, but how greatly do you desire, desire safety over and above the things of God? And so what are the hindrances that are, are robbing you from enjoying your life in Christ Jesus? From enjoying Christ in His fullness? Uh, from being godly in how you interact with a, a fallen world? Maybe it is comfort. Maybe it is safety. Maybe it is your TV or your phone or your hobbies. Good things can become corrupted. Something doesn't have to be morally sinful for it to stop you being godly. For it to stop you from pursuing a life of righteousness in Christ. Friends, our bodies are passing away. Our things are withering away. Uh, to what have you built a shrine? Uh, you could enter hell with the, the fittest body, the, the best kept and most decorated uh, lawn and house. Uh, the most youthful looking face. You could have all the degrees and all the money in the world. But if you do not have Christ, Are you pursuing godliness? Are you pursuing godly living? And so, so what are those things that cause you to hinder? Not morally sinful things, we'll get to that, but what are the, uh, just the other things that are slowing down your, your race, that are hindering you, weighing you down? And, and so I want to encourage you to write them down. Have a thought experiment, write them down, Tell them to your spouse. Or tell them to your home group. Seek accountability and then throw them off. Get them as far away as possible from you. Why be a victim to the things that you know are causing you to stumble? Get rid of them. Why choose to run a race with your legs strapped into heavy weights, barely able to move? When the glory of the gospel says that you have been made free to serve Christ. So get rid of them. Well, that was the first category. What are the second? What are your moral failures? What of your sin? Well, the same command is given. Throw them off. Do not wear sin like a garment. That you cannot enter heaven dressed in a robe of sin. Friends, heaven is for the godly. 
not the ungodly. But maybe I hear you cry in the silence, uh, who can do such a thing? Who can run this race perfectly? Well, friends, I think that's the point. The, the race that is marked out before us clearly reveals our helplessness and our hopelessness apart from the grace of God. He has marked out this race for us and He will provide the means for our running it and our finishing it. You see, we are compelled before we even start running to, to bend the knee to bow down before Him and to seek the help of the One who has marked this race out for us. The One who, who already tread the path. Remember those beautiful words of encouragement from Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. It says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus who went before us as our forerunner has entered on our behalf. Friends, He is the one who goes before us. He is the forerunner. He is the one who has tread the path, who has beaten down the obstacles of sin and death to be our great sin offering to God and to make you free to seek godliness as you run the race set before you. Therefore, verses 2 to 4, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Uh, although there is a great cloud of witnesses spurring us on via their testimony, uh, they're not the ones we're to look to. They can be an example of faithfulness, but they are pointing to the one who is ever faithful to Jesus. Uh, the source of our strength and perseverance and endurance is Jesus. Before our race began, well, he completed the race. He finished it. And he, friends, he's at the start of your race. And he'll be at the finish of your race. And dare I say, he is at every step you take. So don't let your eyes wander off the prize that is Jesus. He has already won. He has received the prize as he, as he sits at the right hand of his Father. Ancient Olympians, well, they competed for a chance to, to up their status, to, to sit with royalty, to, to wear uh, laurels of leaves around their heads. But Jesus, well, he's one that descended. He lowered his status. He endured the cross. He despised its shame. You see, death on a cross was a humiliating ritual of shameful death naked and beaten, mocked and bruised. Uh, at one point, uh, a mock robe, and at the end, a mock crown of twisted thorns. Jesus endured shame to victory. Friends, our present suffering is far outweighed by the future glory that we have in the prize that is Jesus. So fix your eyes upon Him. 
The church exists because Jesus died and rose again. That's it. So friends, our faith begins with him and it is completed in him. That is what it means for Jesus to be the author and perfecter of our faith. And so therefore, we're to consider Christ and his suffering. You see, Jesus shows us how to be faithful to the end in the midst of terrible hostility in a world that is growing more and more hostile towards Christianity and in particular, Orthodox Christianity. There are plenty of churches and self-professed Christians who are who are neither, who have made friends with the world as they abandon the gospel of Jesus. Friends, they are brave for the world, but they are cowardly for the things of Christ. For shame. Will you scorn shame for Christ? Will you despise shame? Will you ridicule shame for the glory of Christ? Will you uphold unpopular views? Friends, it's only worldly shame. What can the world do to you? There is a better world to come. A future glory awaits you. So endure. Charles Spurgeon shares a prayer that he heard a man pray once. Uh, That's what he says. He says, I heard of a prayer the other day, which I did not quite like at first, but there is something in it after all. The good man said, Lord, if our hearts are hard, make them soft. But if our hearts are too soft, make them hard. I know what he meant, and I think I can pray that last prayer for some of my friends who are so delicate that a sneer would kill them. May the Lord harden them till they can despise the shame. Well, leave it to Spurgeon to not mince his words. You see, not a hardening of our hearts towards the gospel, but a hardening of our hearts to the things of the world. To not embrace the world's teaching, but to reject it for the sake of Christ Jesus and his church. But if you do that, if you do that, you will face opposition from sinful men. Therefore, consider Jesus who went before you. Do not grow weary or lose heart. Fix your eyes upon him, the author and perfecter of our faith. He has done it. And he is with you. And he will deliver you. Friends, there's much more to say on that. Uh, A brief word on verse 4, if I may. Uh, These Jewish Christians had faced many societal and economic pressures, but not yet to the point of their death. It did, however, remain a very real possibility. And friends, it remains a real possibility for us. I wonder if you ever looked at persecution of our brothers and sisters across the globe and think, well, that could never happen here. We have our freedoms. Friends, yes, it can. And it has been happening and will continue to happen. Friends, the Orthodox Christian faith 
the biblical worldview is offensive to modern sensibilities. The accusations fly, don't they? Biblical Christianity is homophobic, it's transphobic, it is misogynistic, it is bigoted, it is racist. And perhaps some of you here, perhaps you believe that. We're on the wrong side of history. That's what we're told, that's what we hear. And that voice increases. Tell me, how long will the world tolerate us? How long will the world tolerate that worldview? Are you negotiating with the bear to eat you last? As you tread softly and lightly? As you cower? As you do not stand up for the gospel of Christ Jesus? Sure, the world will tolerate you a little longer as you succumb to each of those areas of conflict. But when it finally comes for your faith in Christ, will you endure? Will you endure? Will you persevere? I pray so. Well, we need to move on. Maybe you're asking the question, well, Ryan, if we are following Jesus, if we are being faithful, if we are being godly, well, why is it going to be difficult? Why will it be difficult? Why will we face the cruelty of men? If we have come into the community of faith and profess Jesus as Lord and Savior, why is it for us that life is still so hard? Well, friends, those are good questions. And the answers come in verses 5 to 11. It is the discipline of God the Father. Uh, we're going to travel this next section in a much more broader stroke, but I, I want you to notice that these trials, these difficult times that we go through as a Christian, they are not from Satan's hand, but they are from God's hand. And they are from God's hand for our good. And so I've entitled this next section, The Father's Discipline for Our Godliness. The Father's Discipline for Our Godliness. Read from verse 5 with me. It says, And have you forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons? My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons, for what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Uh, discipline here should be read as, as child training, child mentorship. Uh, the father training up a child is both protective and with instruction. It, it is to cultivate his soul, to correct issues, to curb wild passions that could lead to dangerous living. And it is to provide instruction that leads to virtuous, to godly living and an increase in godly character in the child. That is discipline. But we see in this passage that receiving discipline is not easy. 
Uh, the word punished in verse 6 can be translated as to whip. Uh, you see, at the very least, discipline is uncomfortable. But this is punishment in the form of loving discipline. Right? This punishment is not eternal condemnation. It is loving discipline for the ones God loves. And so we're not to lose courage when punished. We're not to lose courage when we go through difficult times. We're not to lose courage when we go through discipline. Because God has a long-term plan in mind for you. In Romans 8, we read that God is working out all things for your good. His discipline is born out of love for you. He is not vindictive. He is not vindictive on his children. Rather, he is molding you and shaping you into the likeness of his son. It is because he loves you as his children. And it is because you need it. Friends, we're all in need of, of discipline. We don't walk this life as perfect. We're being, we're being sanctified by the Spirit every day. How we react to situations, how we interact with the world. Read from verse 9 with me. It says, Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Let me stop there for a second. Uh, uh, you may have had an earthly father that was not godly, that was abusive, that did not instruct you well. Uh, if that is you, please do not associate those experiences with God the Father. And neither throw out discipline because of your bad experience. Friends, godly discipline is good. It's good in our homes. Discipline is good in our churches. And it is, because, it is good because that is how God grows us. Uh, verse 10 and 11, it says, Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And so, friends, our attitude as we grow in godliness should not be to flee discipline, but rather to embrace it, to accept it, and to desire it because of the fruit that it produces. Why? Because as verse 4 says, we still struggle with sin. And so here's the encouragement. Because God disciplines you, it proves that you are legitimate children, that you are His child whom He loves. If you did not go through discipline, if your Christian life is easy and comfortable and safe, well, then I think there's a serious question there for you. Why am I not being disciplined? Don't fool yourself for one second and answer that by saying, well, then you're just a good Christian. And God just loves you more than He loves others. No, the Lord disciplines those He loves. And so, friends, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And when you begin to do that thoroughly and to live for God seriously, well, the work of sanctification will begin to consume you as those rough edges are scraped off.
Seth fell on the tarmac down by the river last week. He fell because he's two and he was not listening uh, to his daddy. And he got the biggest wound yet. Some lovely, bright, red... (laughs) Bless me. (laughs) Some lovely, bright, red scratches on his knee. It's sore and it hurts. But do you know what was more sore? When we got home and we got in the bath and daddy had to clean it. Because the last thing you want is for that scratch to become infected and so you clean that wound really, really well. You really get in there and it hurts. It it hurts. I think the rugby players know all about that pretty well. Friends, that is the Lord's discipline. It hurts, but it is good and it is for our benefit. There is not a drop of God's wrath in His discipline for you. It is His pure, sweet love. And it will produce in you a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Friends, Olympians train and they train hard and they're disciplined in their training and they have the goal of winning the medal and they will throw everything that hinders them away for that medal. But friends, that medal will not last. Their popularity will not last. They'll die and be forgotten. But for us, a crown of glory awaits. Verse 12 and 13 says, Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. A Christian, listen to me. Listen to me. Your sin is great, but Jesus is greater still. He was not disciplined. Jesus did not need it. He was the perfect righteous one who who brings us peace Peace through all the trials and disciplines that we will endure. You are weak. You are lame. You are feeble. The race is hard and you cannot run it by yourself. But in Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, in Him may your arms rise up. In Him may your knees cease their rickety ways. And so throw off every hindrance of weight that's of sin that slows your, down your progress as a Christian and makes you impotent to the kingdom of God and make your paths straight. Call out your sin. Seek accountability. Don't entertain dangerous temptations. If you do, you will forever in this life live a half-life, a life that is still clinging to the dead, like a bee pretending that garbage is his flower. Friends, instead, follow Jesus. He is the one who has made the way for us. He is the one who ran the race. He is the one who finished it. He is the one who wears the crown of glory. And he is the one waiting for us at the end. The one who endured the wrath of God in order that we might receive the loving correction of God as his dear children. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Would you soften our hearts to accept it? 
to accept your word, to accept correction, to receive encouragement, to accept rebuke, to be trained in all righteousness, that we might grow in godliness to the glory of God the Father and His Son and the Holy Spirit. Lord, would you harden our hearts to the world. May we hate the sin of the world. May we hate the sin that is in our lives that so corrupts us. May we hate the things that stop us from growing in godliness. May we identify them and may we throw them away. For your glory we pray. Amen.